Man, it's so good to see everyone today. I'm glad you are here. I'm excited to study God's Word with you. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5. Let's dig in. If you don't have a Bible, no big deal. Everything will be on the screen so you can follow along, or maybe you can download the Bible app and follow along that way. Message number 9 in this series called Chasing Perfection. Message number 19 in Matthew chapter 5 as we've been learning it together, and I am excited for today's edition of Matthew chapter 5. Before we dig into that, we are just a couple weeks away from Mother's Day, and we have decided after after Easter went so well at our church that we want to be together on Mother's Day. We have two campuses right now while we're having church simultaneously. They're having church at Summit Christian Academy. They'll do the same thing at the 11. But having everyone together on Easter just felt the way that it should feel for church. So we've decided on Mother's Day we're going to have a Saturday night service instead of our Summit Christian Academy campus. And I need about 300 moms who don't want to get up on Mother's Day, who don't want to get your kids ready on Mother's Day, who don't want to like leave the house on Mother's Day to come on Saturday, get your kids ready, take your picture with everyone, and then on Sunday, just stay in bed and let the family serve you. If you are one of those moms or grandmas, we need you to come Saturday at 5 p.m. Our Sundays will be 8, 9, 30, and 11. If you'd be willing to come to the 8 a.m., the three biggest services we have every year, Christmas is always our biggest, Easter's number two, and then Mother's Day's number three. We don't want to turn people away but we don't want to be spread out. We don't want anyone to have to watch a video on Mother's Day. So if you could help us by maybe coming Saturday, coming at 8 a.m., have all of our church be together, that would be um, awesome. Um, So what do you do? What do you do when people in your life act like jerks? Or if we could just be honest, what do you do when people in your life are jerks? Like, it's just who they are. That's the question we're trying to answer today in this little three-week focus of our Chasing Perfection series called Jesus in difficult people. How do you interact with difficult people in a way that looks like Jesus or at the very least honors Jesus? This is what we're going to talk about today. And I think today's going to, I think today could be a powerful message for your soul. I believe that every Sunday, but I believe that specifically about this Sunday. Um, we are next week going to finally get to the theme verse of our series, Matthew 5:48. be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. This answers our question. How do you deal with difficult people? Just be like your heavenly father. And you say, well, that is impossible. It is. That's the whole point and premise of the whole series to see how much we have to depend on Jesus, to live like Jesus. That's what we're learning each and every week, that what God is asking us to do, we cannot do without the help of Jesus. But as we get into today's message, we're really going to see how critical it is to take the advice of Jesus. Everybody say, Jesus. That's the point of today's message. It's the point of this whole series. How do you engage with difficult people in your life, even the, the jerks? in a way that looks like Jesus or at the very least honors Jesus. Our goals today are options. I'm going to give you two, and I'm going to ask you to choose. Here are the goals of today's messages. Number one, to see how difficult people can destroy us spiritually and to see how difficult people can deepen us spiritually. And I'm going to ask you to choose one or the other. Are you going to be a person who lets the difficult people in your life destroy you? Or are you going to choose to be a person who lets the difficult people in your life deepen you spiritually. We're going to look at both options today, and I'm going to ask you to choose which type of person you're going to be. We're going to see that we cannot control the difficult people in our life, but we can control how we react to them and whether or not we let them destroy us and our families for generations. We'll actually walk through that today, or whether they deepen us and our families for generations. Before we ever read scripture at our church, we always pray and ask God to speak to our hearts. Would you bow your heads with me here 
in the room, would you take a deep breath and just kind of settle your soul into the room? Two things I'd like you to pray just briefly in your seat. One, a prayer of confession. If there's anything on your heart right now that might keep you from receiving for God, just, just ask him to move it. If there's something you committed to you didn't do, ask him to forgive you. If there's something you did you shouldn't have done, ask God to forgive you. Cleanse your heart before God right now and then ask him to speak to you. God, that's our prayer. We just want our heart to be in a condition to hear from you. God, we all deal with so many difficult and broken people because we all live in a world that's ruled by sin and selfishness. But because we have Jesus and his teaching, our difficult and broken world can deepen our faith instead of destroying our lives if we will follow the way of Jesus. Show us that. Give us the courage to do it today. We ask these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42 is what we're going to read through today. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. Don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. In all of the areas in life that I want to be just like Jesus, how he deals with difficult people is not one of them. Um, We're in message number 19 in Matthew chapter 5, and this is the first time if I was sitting on the hillside in Galilee listening to Jesus kind of unpack the Beatitudes. This is the first thing that I would have heard Jesus say that I would have raised my hand and said, hang, hang on, I have a question. This is the first time I would have had a question. And I would have asked him to repeat himself, and if he would have repeated himself clearly, I would have said, are, like, are you kidding? Like, this really, this is how you want me to treat difficult people? If they slap my right cheek, give them my left. If they sue me for my shirt, give them my coat. If they ask me to go one mile, go two, like... This is how you want me to deal with difficult people? And Jesus says, yes, it is. Yes, it is. We've said most things in Christianity are not really about us. They're about Jesus and they're about others. As a matter of fact, turn to somebody sitting next to you and say, it's not about me. Okay, now turn to that same person and say, except for today. (laughs) Because today it is all about you. Usually the teaching of Jesus in our lives is for his mission and for someone else. Today his teaching is about us. Jesus is saying, I can't really help you deal with the difficult people in your life, but I can teach you how to stay healthy in dealing with the difficult people in your life. See, today's teaching is not to teach you how to deal with difficult people. Today's teaching is to teach you how to survive difficult people. And how to stay spiritually healthy when difficult people, when when jerks try to destroy your life. And we're going to meet some jerks today. That's the only word I can call them as I read through the scripture. We're just going to meet some jerks today who gave King David, King of Israel, a chance to either really grow spiritually or fall apart spiritually. And he fell apart spiritually because he did not listen to the teaching that Jesus will give us today. So really two options. Do we let difficult people destroy us or do we let them deepen us? Let's start number one with what it looks like to be destroyed by difficult people. What does it look like to be destroyed by difficult people? Let's just read through the text once again. I have put in yellow all the things Jesus asks you to do. I've left in white all the things that he says will be done to you. 
You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks of you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus in today's teaching says, listen, I am teaching you about the power of your reactions. I am teaching you that your entire life, you're going to have things done to you by difficult people that you have no control over, but I am showing you how to react in a way that will protect your soul. We're not in control of the actions of others. We are accountable to our reactions to them. Jesus taught us that last week. You're not in control of what people do to you, but you are account- you're not just in control. You're accountable one day to God for how you react to people. So we underline what Jesus tells us to do while acknowledging what will be done to us. I love this quote from pastor author Charles Swindoll. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that's our attitude. I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. If that is true, that's good because we're only accountable for how we react to things, and we are accountable for how we react to things and to people. We're not in control of them. We are accountable for us and how we react. And as Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to learn this. When we look at the natural responses to difficult people, like we're forced to be open to the supernatural responses to Jesus. When we look at how we feel, when we look at how we want to react, when we look at sometimes to how we do react, like when we look at the natural side of us, and how we react to difficult people when they take advantage of us. When we look at where we'll end up doing it on our own, we have to be open to the teaching of Jesus because I, I don't think any of us want to end up there. I've been studying the last month in my personal quiet time just the life and the ministry and the leadership of King David, the second king of Israel who killed the giant Goliath and became kind of a war hero in Israel, and then he became their king. And I have been mourning his story because his life was destroyed by a couple of jerks. David was an extremely passionate person. It's why he wrote so much great poetry and scripture and music, because his passion flowed out of him. Um, It's why he was such a great warrior. He wasn't afraid of anything, but he was an eye-for-eye, tooth-for-tooth type of guy, like slap David on the right cheek, and he will cut off your head and feed it to the birds. Like, Literally, when Goliath threatened to slap him on the right cheek, David said, you try and I will cut off your head and feed it to the birds. He was like, I don't turn the other cheek, I cut off your head. He was a highly passionate, highly reactive leader. And I've been mourning because a couple times in his life when he just tried to do the right thing as a good guy, he had a, he had a couple jerks that taunted him and tempted him into... Tempted him into throwing everything away. One was in 1 Samuel 25. David was living in a, in a kind of in the woods of Israel. He was hiding from the king of Israel who was trying to search him out to destroy him because he thought he was going to usurp the throne. And his kind of his little band of brothers had been protecting a shepherd 
um, kind of a master shepherd named Nabal and all of his flocks and herds. And when shearing time came and they were shearing the sheep and they were cooking the food and they were having a big party, David's like, hey, go, go let the guy know. Last couple of months, we've been looking out for shepherds. We've been looking out for a sheep and like ask him if he'd give us some food. We would like to feast too. So his band of brothers goes to Nabal and says, hey, we're with David. And last couple of months, we've been watching over your stuff and it looks like everything survived. You're going to make a lot of money off this kind of shearing, you know, like, could you share some of your food with us? And Nabal says, who's David? Isn't he that guy who's rebelling against Saul? I ain't giving David anything. Tell David, he's just like a flea on a dog. So they went back and told David, he says, you're like a flea on a dog and he's not going to give you any food. And David said, grab your swords. God help me if he and every male in his household is not dead by sunset. Wow. Like, you want him on your team, right? Because like you, you don't ever want to be on the other team, other team when that guy is playing. It's like, holy God. So they grab their swords and they're off to kill everyone. And his wife, whose name is Abigail, Nabal's wife, found out what happened and told the servants, get as much food as you can. She met him halfway. And basically she got between him and the difficult person and said, you don't have to do this. Listen, I'm sorry he acted that way. I'm going to treat you with the love and respect you need. I will deal with him. You do not have to take matters into your own hands. And David said, God bless you for standing in my way because I would have done something really stupid. Thank you for being a mediator between me and this difficult person. I will accept your love and I'll, I'll let you take care of them. And he left and he didn't do anything stupid. Well, about a decade later, he had a similar situation. I'm going to describe it through a modern day map of Israel because I think it'll stick in your mind more this way. Biblically, when we hear Old Testament names here, of course, is the country of Israel, modern-day Jordan, modern-day Syria. This was Old Testament Ammon, Old Testament Aram. So Aram was always Syria. Ammon was always Jordan. David was buddies with the king of Ammon, modern-day Jordan, and the king died. So he told some of his servants, hey, take a gift to the new king and just say, we're, I'm really sorry for what happened. Sorry your dad died. If you need us for anything, let us know. And his guys got there, and we don't, even, we don't even know their names or their positions, just a couple jerks. A couple jerks told the young king, they are not here to help. They're here to spy. Like, we need to humiliate them. So it said they shaved their beards off. They would have been wearing long tunics. It said they cut them off at the waist, which means they would have had their bare rear ends kind of blowing in the wind, and they kind of smacked them and said, get out of here, you're not welcome. When David found out about it, you, just, you don't do that to a guy like David. He said, stay in Jericho, which is the Jordan, until your beards grow back, and for God's sake, cover, cover yourself up before you come home. And then he told the army, get ready. And the king of Ammon said, oh, no. So the king of Ammon calls the king of Aram and hires his army and says, I've ticked off David, come and help me. They gather together for war. The Israelites go out. The Ammonites flee to Ammon. The Arameans flee to Aram. Israel decided to go after Aram first so far that they took the modern-day city of Damascus. And then they rested for the winter, and in the spring they decided to finish the job. And David is now fighting a war with people who, he, who really doesn't even know just because he can't walk away from a couple jerks. And we see him in his worst spiritual state because he has been wounded not physically, but emotionally by some difficult people. And his story begins to unravel. What are wounds that really difficult people, what are wounds that jerks can give us 
that destroy us spiritually. Let's just look at David's story. Number one, isolation. It says in 2 Samuel 11, 1, that in the springtime when kings go out to war, Israel went out to finish the job that these jerks had started. But David stayed home. It is the only occurrence in Scripture where David sent the army but did not go with him. And they were not just his army. They were his boys. They were his friends. They were his accountability partners. They were the people who kept him safe. This is the first time David was always a guy who relied on a friend or a mentor, Jonathan, Samuel, and then his 31 military generals who he called his mighty men. Like David knew that his success depended on living in spiritual community. And this is the first time in his story we see him without spiritual community. What had happened is some jerks who he had never even met hurt him. And instead of withdrawing from them, he withdrew from his own people and he just didn't feel safe with people. So he just... He isolated himself. And some of you have been hurt. And instead of withdrawing from those who have hurt you, you've withdrawn from everyone. And now you're really isolated. It's a wound that's a dangerous wound spiritually because it often leads, number two, to temptation. As we continue the story, David's all by himself. He's walking around on the roof of his palace and he sees one of his next-door neighbors on the roof bathing herself for the night. She's a really good-looking woman, so he calls someone to him and said, who's that? And their answer was, she's untouchable. Before they said her name, they said, that is Uriah's wife. That's one of David's generals. That is Eliam's daughter. That's one of David's generals. That is Ahithophel's granddaughter. That's one of David's key advisors. Like, who's that? That is someone you should not be looking at. Her husband is one of your best friends. Her dad is one of your best friends. Her grandpa is one of your best friends. And David's like, she's really good looking. Call her over. And he has an affair with her. He gets her pregnant. And his life and his family and his marriage and his reign just begins to unravel. He was wounded. He's, He's wounded. He was hurt. Some jerks had invited him into a battle that he could not say no to. And now someone else is fighting his battles and he's losing every spiritual battle on the home front. After all this went down, a prophet came to him and said, God loves you. God knows how sorry you are. God knows how much you have a heart for him. But what you've did is going to destroy, like the consequences are going to destroy your family. And certainly it did. As we continue the story, we learn that one of the wounds we can receive from difficult people is we can become hard-hearted. Amnon, who was David's firstborn, who should have become the king of Israel. After watching his dad choose to treat himself to whoever he wanted to, found uh, another member of the royal family he wanted to treat himself to. And because his heart was hard and everyone told him, this is not the right way to do things. He said, I just don't care. I want what I want. And he raped another member of the royal family. And he said, as soon as he raped her, he hated her as much as he had loved her before the rape and then said, get out. And they said, like, she's going to like, she's going to die like this scorned woman who's never able to have a family. And he's like, I don't, I don't even care. He didn't even care. Like we see the hard heart, like Amnon, David, like this whole, none of them had anything to do with what was happening. But what happened as a result of some jerks just began to break their heart and break their life. And they got hard hearted. The story sadly gets worse. Absalom, who's the brother of the girl that Amnon raped, stepped in. And he said, I guess if no one's going to help, I'll take matters into my own hands. And in 2 Samuel 13, he kills Amnon. He waits two years, lets him think that he's not angry anymore. 
lures him away from the house and from the guards and then puts him to death. And when they say, why would you do that? He said he had it coming. He, had, he, he deserved it. And we see someone who lived with retribution until he was killed in battle. And maybe the saddest person in the entire story is a guy by the name of Hithophel who had the wound of bitterness. Hithophel was David's counselor, but he was Bathsheba's grandfather. And apparently for 10 years, he held on to the wound of the hurt that David had caused his family and extended family. And the first chance he had to get back at David, he took it. And he told Absalom, who was trying to usurp the throne, here's, here's how you kill him. I've been thinking about it for a decade. It's been eating at me for a decade. Here's how to kill him. He deserves to die. And Absalom didn't listen to his advice. And when he realized all his bitterness had done was killed him, but it was never going to kill David, he went back to his house and he killed himself. These are the natural responses to difficult people. This is where you end up. You say, how do I deal with difficult people? Either naturally or supernaturally, but this is where naturally ends. Naturally ends in isolation. Naturally ends in temptation. Naturally ends in hard-heartedness. Naturally ends in retribution. Naturally ends in bitterness. Every one of these people in 3, 4, and 5, their stories would end in death because their hearts got hard and they dealt in the natural. Does any of the words on this screen describe your heart because of some jerk in your past. This was David's story. Danielle, after the message last week, hard, you know, we're talking about hard messages, dealing with hard things in this series. And she said, Christian, I feel like sometimes um, you should pause in these heavy moments and you should let people know how things are impacting you as a person, not just a pastor. Like, don't just teach, just talk to us about how you're doing. And as I looked at this screen this week, like as a follower of Jesus, not as a pastor of our church, where am I, where am I struggling in 2020 and 2021? What wounds am I carrying? What does my natural spirit run to? One, three, and five right now. One, three, and five. Because I don't know if you've noticed it, but you cannot make the right decision in 2020 and 2021. You cannot make the right decision. So every decision has somebody shooting at your heart. And eventually you're like, Lord, should I just let a callus build up so I don't feel that anymore? I don't know how I can lead in this season. And if I don't develop enough thickness around my heart, I'm just going to get bitter. And that's going to cause me to pull back from everyone. So what do I do? And God's like, what did Jesus tell, what did Jesus tell you to do? He didn't tell you to live in the natural some of you are in here and like you, you, you know your wound because when I said it, it was like touching a bruise and like your spirit's like, ah, that one's still sensitive. What do you do when difficult people come into your life? If this is the consequence of doing what we feel, we at least have to listen to another option. And Jesus says, I gotta, this is a natural let me talk to you about the supernatural. You can be destroyed or you can be deepened. So since we cannot eliminate broken people, since we cannot eliminate difficult people, since you will from time to time have jerks creep up in your life that are like begging you to come battle them, 
We better figure out another way to look at this. How can we be deepened spiritually when difficult people come into our life? Let's look at the text again. We're going to focus on a different set of words this time. You've heard it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow you. So Jesus just taught us how not to let difficult people destroy us. But now he's saying they don't have to destroy your relationships. You don't have to turn away from every difficult person you engage with. There is another way. Say, how are we going to do it? When we hear Jesus say, don't turn away, here's what you need to know. If we're going to stay engaged in relationships with difficult people in a way that will impact their soul, we must grow longer noses. You're like, like Pinocchio? We just have to lie to them a lot? Yes, no, no, not like Pinocchio. Like Jesus. Say, what do you mean, what do you mean I have to grow a longer nose? A guy named Paul, who 2,000 years ago started church all over the Mediterranean world, and he would write letters to him. Those are the letters we have in the New Testament of our Bible. One of the churches he started was a church in a city called Corinth, and the people could just not get along with anyone. Um, everyone in church hated everyone who didn't come to church, and everyone in church hated everyone who did come to church. Like the whole book was like, <laughs> you all have to learn to get along. And by the time he gets to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he's like, you have to learn to love like Jesus. And this is what love looks like. He gives 16 characteristics of Christian love in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is, and then he gives us a list of 16 things that love is. Anyone remember what love is first? It's patient. 16 things that love is but only after it's patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. This word patient in the Greek language, makrothumeo, literally means having a long reaction to negative relational situations. Think of the word macro rather than micro. Big, big, big view, long, long, long timetable. So everything in the Hebrew language and Hebrew culture is a word picture so you can remember it better. So here is the word picture of this word in the Hebrew culture. When you're angry, when you're mad, when someone disappoints you, if you could, if you could think of yourself kind of, kind of in a huff, if you could think of yourself going like, like just breathing out that punch, the picture of a long nose is, here, here's, here's what Paul is saying. You need to, you need to lengthen your breath. You need to make your nose so long that by the time finally gets out, it has cooled down and calmed down. So by the time what's in you finally comes out of you, it's not even hot anymore. It's not fast anymore. It doesn't really care anymore. Like you, you need to have this really long nose so that when you, when you do that, by the time that air finally turns into action, it's cooled off a little bit. That's the word patient. Calm down in your reactions. By the time you react, let yourself cool off. That's what patient means. Slow breath through a long nose while Jesus works. Let me say it this way. The length of your nose tells me how much time you're giving Jesus to work. 
And some of you give him this much time. (sighs) And he better figure out that quick. When Jesus said, here's how long I want to work. (sighs) Like like Jesus said, give me a little time. Give me some time. Give, Give me, lengthen your nose. Give me some time to work so that I can help you. We've looked at five ways difficult people can destroy you. All of us have been impacted by all those. How can difficult people deepen us? Let's let's look at five ways. Number one, they remind me how good God is. How can difficult people deepen my faith? Well, they remind me how good God is. In Psalm 86, 14, David is complaining to God about difficult people in his life. Here's what he says in verse 14. They're arrogant, they're ruthless, they're godless, they don't love me or you, what should I do with them? And then in verse 15, he reminds himself who God is. You, Lord, are compassionate and gracious. You are slow to anger. You're abounding in love and faithfulness. David said, I'm trying to figure out how to deal with difficult people. And I'm thinking this thought, God, how would you deal with them? And it reminds me how you deal with people. And it reminds me how you deal with me. We said the key question of Matthew chapter 5, 19 messages ago. We said the key question of Matthew chapter 5 is not have you learned Jesus' teaching, it's are you living Jesus' lifestyle? See, there's a difference between learning what Jesus teaches and doing what Jesus does. And everyone today is learning what Jesus teaches. The question is this week, will we live like Jesus lives? Will we do what Jesus does? Difficult people give us a chance to remember how good God has been to us. They also, number two, challenge a shallow faith walk. Difficult people challenge our faith and they, difficult people proved us how shallow our faith is. In Romans chapter two, in Romans chapter two, you should go read it. In verses one, two, and three, Paul says this to the church at Rome. When you judge people for acting like lost, broken people, When you judge people for just acting like who they are without Jesus, he said in verse four, you are showing contempt for how God has loved you. You're showing you're shallow. When you judge people for just being broken and difficult, are you not showing contempt for the riches of God's kindness to you, his forbearance and patience, macrothumeo, not realizing God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Like when you judge difficult people and write them off, you show contempt for the fact that God loved you and did not write you off. He gave you this gift of his long love so that you could show that to someone else and you have received it for yourself and then you've thrown it down and kind of stomped on it and said, I'm not gonna give it to anyone else. You've shown disdain, contempt for what God has given you. Listen, I don't know anyone who wants to be physically stronger who when they go to the gym doesn't wanna sweat, doesn't wanna stress, Um, doesn't want a little bit of hurt and a little bit of pain. It's the only way that they know they're growing. But I know a lot of people spiritually who want to grow. If you're in church today, if you're watching online today, it's because you want to grow spiritually, but we want to do it without any sweat, stress, or pain. Is that possible? And the answer is no. So you need to look at every difficult person in your life as another plate Jesus is putting on the bar saying, all right, the only way you're going to get stronger is to learn how to lift this one. So I'll spot you. I'll make sure you don't kill yourself. 
but I'm going to load you up with Tom and Sally and Mary and Bob and all those people you hate at work. Like all of these are just, they're just wait on the bar. I'll spot you. Let's see how much you can lift. None of you's ever walked into a gym and, and asked the guy, now how slow do the treadmills go? Cause I don't want to sweat. Do you have a four pound bar? Cause I, like, I don't want to get sore. Like you go to grow spiritually. We're in this thing to grow. And Jesus said, here's how, here's how you grow. You begin to love like I love. You, number three, you practice loving like Jesus. You practice loving people like me. So in Ephesians 4.1, by the way, this, we should note this. We've now heard what Paul said to Corinth. We've heard what Paul said to Rome. We've heard what Paul said to Ephesus. You will hear the Apostle Paul address difficult people in every letter that he writes. You need to understand, if you go to any church in the history of the world, is filled with difficult people because we're all broken by sin. Our bent is selfish, natural, retreat, isolate. Like, that's how we're shaped without Jesus. So in Ephesians 4.1, Paul says, walk worthy of Jesus. Make him proud. You're like, I want to make him proud. What do I do? Look at verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle and be patient, macrothumeo, bearing with one another in love. Paul says, I want you to make Jesus proud. I want to make Jesus proud. How do I do it? You got to be more patient with people. You have to practice loving them well. We've been handing out in our devotions what we call our, our bulletin, what we call daily reflections, just for you to stick in your Bible or put on your nightstand or put in your car or have in your office. Just five, uh, uh, one question a day to just kind of help you think about the message. Friday's question is this. If God's patience towards you in life is a 10 on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate your patience towards others? How can you grow that rating by even one point this week? Practice, practice, practice loving like Jesus. Answer number four, the screen is broken, so it'll be on your, uh, it'll be on your notes. <laughs> they force me to practice trust or crumble to pressure. They teach me to practice trust or crumble to pressure. You should write this in your notes. You need an Abigail. You need an Abigail. You say, who's Abigail? She was Nabal's wife. Remember, David was on the way to kill Nabal the jerk. And Abigail stands between them and says, I will treat you with all the love and respect you deserve to be treated with. And I will deal with this guy. Don't worry about it. See, Abigail is a picture of Jesus who steps into our relationships with difficult people when we're on our way with our sword on our side and says, listen, I will love you and respect you like you want to be loved and respected. And I will also deal with them. You don't have to worry about it. And we either get to trust that and have a really long nose or we just kind of blow right through the mediator and take matters into our own hands, which scripture tells us not to do. God's hands are better. Romans 12, 19, don't take revenge, my dear friends. Leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Some of you are like, yes, God will smite them dead. I am gonna give over my difficult people to God so he can crush them under his mighty hand, hallelujah. God, what do you want me to do while you're waiting to crush them? God says, do this. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Don't overcome evil by, don't, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God, what do you want me to do while, while I wait for you to crush them? 
And God's like, love them. And you're like, no. Like, really? Yes, yes, really. Love them. Love them because maybe they'll meet Jesus the Redeemer instead of God in his wrath. That's what I call practicing trust. And then number five, how can difficult people help me deepen my faith? They show me the importance of praying to a reliable friend. We have no friends who've been hurt by difficult people as much as Jesus has been hurt by difficult people. We have no friends that love difficult people as much as Jesus loves difficult people. And Proverbs foresaw this in Proverbs 18, 24, when the writer said, one one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. That's us. We have unreliable friends. We are unreliable friends. But there's a friend who sticks closer. There's a friend who sticks closer than difficult people. There's a friend who sticks closer than unreliable people. There's a friend who's not a jerk. His name is Jesus. Stay close to that one. We said last week that this series is all about helping us understand how Jesus loves. And we talked about what we called the seven. Last week, they were concepts. This week, we call them foundations, seven foundations of dealing with difficult people. We're not going to get out of this series if we don't learn these. We have to, these have to be brought into our spiritual worldview for us to deal with difficult people. Sovereignty, we believe God is in control. Grace, people are broken. They need a lot of chances. Humility, we can't control the outcomes. Accountability, we are accountable for ourselves. Honesty, yes is yes, no is no. Love, we, we don't love people because we trust them. We love people because we trust God. And our reliance is trusting God more than we trust other people. Without these key concepts, we can't, we can't live in relationship with difficult people. But what we're trying to do is this. If you want to have long relationships, you're going to have to have longer noses. You're going to have to slow the reaction time by giving Jesus time. But you control, you control how long it takes that spiritual reaction to get there. You see, these things won't just help you love people better. They will help you love Jesus better. And here's the two walkaway points as we get ready to close in prayer. Two things that I want you to pray over today. Number one, which one of these seven do you need to implement this week in a relationship with a difficult person? I want you to think of a real difficult person, a real life issue you're dealing with, and I want you to figure out which of these are you going to apply to that situation. Just pick one. Sovereignty, grace, humility, accountability, honesty, love, reliance. This week, you're going to take a difficult person. You're going to apply one of these principles every day to remind yourself how Jesus loves difficult people. And then number two, we're going to acknowledge a wound. We're going to say, Jesus, when I got hurt, here has been my natural response. I'm bruised. I'm hurt. I'm touchy. And here's here's where I've gotten because I couldn't turn the other cheek yet. I couldn't give my shirt and my tunic. I didn't have energy for the second mile. Which one of these things do you just need to confess? God, this is real in my heart right now. But I don't want to live in the natural. I want to live in the supernatural. If you can know what to apply to difficult people and what, and what to confess for your heart, I think we've had a pretty good day. I think we've had a day that will move you forward spiritually. We pray with me as we consider these two things. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, but hearts are open. What's God saying to you today? What two steps do you need to take? Question one, which of the seven foundations do you need to grow in in a difficult relationship? Sovereignty, grace, humility, accountability, honesty, love, or reliance. Choose one. And in every interaction with your difficult person this week, remember it. 
Would you ask God to help you in that area right now? Second prayer, which of the wounds do you need to confess and ask God for help in? I think I've got three. Maybe you got one, maybe you got five. Which one of the wounds do you just need to look up and say, God, here's what's resulted because I went through a difficult situation with difficult people and I just want some help. Would you ask God to help you in that area? Third prayer. What difficult person do you need to trust God with today? Would you pray for them by name? The best thing we can do for a difficult person is introduce them to Jesus. He's the only one who can change them the way we want them to be changed. So would you pray that they might find Jesus and if they consider themselves one of his followers, would you just pray they'll start acting like him? Pray for him today. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus personally, you're wounded, you're hurting, you're isolated, you're bitter. Jesus can change all of that. He's the only friend who sticks close enough to get us through every situation. If you don't know him, you need to know he knows you, he loves you. He lived for you, he died for your brokenness and unfaithfulness so you could be close to him, so you could be right with God. And all you have to do to be in relationship with the God of the universe is receive the love of Jesus. If you've never done that, you can do that today in prayer. You just open up your heart to heaven and just tell God you're ready. If that's you, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You don't have to pray out loud. You can pray from your heart directly to heaven. Would you just pray something like this? Jesus, I need you in my life. Jesus, forgive me of sin. Cleanse me of my past. Heal me of my hurt. Lead me into my future. Jesus, today I surrender my life to your love and leadership. And I ask for your salvation. If you just prayed that prayer with me in just a second, Pastor Mike's going to come and tell you how you can let us know so we can follow up, so we can pray with you, pray for you. But we want you to know Jesus changes everything. Father, thank you for the teaching of Jesus today. Because, Lord, in a world full of difficult people and deep wounds, we need another option. Jesus gives that to us today. God is a follower of Jesus. I give you my tendency to isolate. I give you my questions of, should I just let a callus grow? I give you my confession that I can grow bitter if you don't help me. And, God, I ask you to help me develop a longer nose, more patience for better relationships. Help our people do the same. Lord, let us lean into you as we try to love the world and stay healthy spiritually. That's our prayer. And God, we ask these things in Jesus' name today. And everyone said, amen. Hey, Journey, let's stand.